0: actually increasingly convinced Jason that prayer is the tip of the arrow for evangelism in Canada right now, because there is a hurting world. And we can't necessarily just preach the gospel to them in that minute. But what we can offer them is comfort in through prayer, encouragement through prayer.
1: Well, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. My name is Jason Ballard, and today our interview is with Shayla Visser, the National Director of Alpha Canada. And this conversation was extra meaningful for me because Shayla has been a mentor in my life. In fact, she hired me, and we worked together at Alpha for a number of years. We worked on the Alpha Youth Series together, the Alpha Film Series, and many other projects. And I'm excited for people to be able to listen in on our own journey of leading across different generations, collaborating on stressful projects, and what it can look like to lead change together in an organization like Alpha. And she shared a lot of really meaningful things. She shared about the process of stepping into her role at Alpha Canada in the critical moment in Alpha Canada's story. She also talked about her personal spiritual growth in this last season, how God's been growing her a new boldness to share her faith and live on mission in God's kingdom. We touched on themes like casting vision for your teams coming out a lockdown, how we can provide coverage for younger leaders in our organizations as they learn and grow, and how to do change management well. In our October newsletter for CCLN earlier this month, we talked about that exact topic, leading change. And so if you're not subscribed yet already, we do this monthly e-newsletter with the best articles, podcasts, resources, and tools that we can pull together as a team to support you as a pastor and give voice to conversations happening across our country. And so if you wanna see this month's content, you can go to our blog section of ccln.ca and there you'll see a way to subscribe to receive next month's newsletter right to your inbox. And today's conversation is part of a four-part series we're doing as we explore a new research report called The Connected Generation. The study was commissioned by World Vision and led by the team at Barna. The study engaged Canadians aged 18 to 35, and the study was done in 2019 and then again with a different sample in 2021, which is really cool to be able to compare the responses in 2019 pre-pandemic to 2021 in the midst of the pandemic. And the themes they looked at are things like mental health, church engagement, and views on the world around them. And the way my mind works when I'm reading data like this Connected Gen report is to read it through the lens of an opportunity for the church to live into its calling and identity. Like, for example, here are a few insights that stood out to me from the report. One noted that only 31% of those surveyed felt that someone believed in them. And only 35% of those surveyed expressed a sense of being deeply cared for by those around them. And so in a world where a younger generation is articulating a struggle to find places where they are believed in and cared for, this is an opportunity for the church to be that place where people from another generation come alongside, care for, and invest and deploy young leaders. Interesting, the report also looked at themes of leadership, and only 5% of those surveyed in 2021 saw themselves as leaders in their church or faith community. So that raises the question, what might it look like for us to be raising up leaders in the next generation and investing in them, trusting them, giving them places to learn and grow with the coverage and care of older leaders? And Shayla had some really helpful insights on how she's done this at Alpha Canada, and hopefully they'll inspire you as you think about that. Hey, and the last thing I want to say before we transition into the conversation is at around the 35 to 40 minute mark, you hear Shayla begin to tell a story about hearing uh, a neighbor screaming. It's pretty intense. And she goes on to talk about this interaction and the story involves details of self-harm that may be challenging for some to hear. And so if you want to skip over that part, feel free to jump ahead about five minutes at that point in the podcast. With all that said, let's jump into our conversation with Shayla Visser. Well, Shayla, this is an absolute delight to have this conversation with you today. You doing okay?
0: Yeah, I'm doing great, Jay. I just love being with you. I feel like when we're together, there's always going to be an interesting conversation. We know each other so well, but there's yes. always things to learn from one another.
1: It's it's. I've, I think we should set the context a little bit. I mean, the reason why this is so we're on Zoom right now, looking across from each other, but like you and I have banked. It would be an understanding hundreds of hours in the room doing strategy because we worked together for almost 10 years at Alpha. We're still working together uh, in a different way around themes of Alpha, serving the church in Canada. I think we're committed to being collaborators around the mission of building the church in Canada for a long, long time. Uh, but I thought it'd be fun to kind of start by talking a little bit about um, Alpha Canada. When you jumped in on board, the state of the organization, how, when I came in on board, on board, and then some of the projects we worked on together... And some of the stuff you're working on now, and I think we can take our time because I know for a lot of people that listen, they've been impacted by some of the projects that we've collaborated on the youth series or the alpha film series, or if they are in Alberta, they, the national, the provincial campaign or, you know, the bear grills campaign and people thought about, but all this stuff kind of came out of, um, a real shift in the organization that goes back to, why don't you take us? When did you get hired as the national director of alpha in Canada?
0: That happened in 2010. And I remember thinking, um, there is so much potential in this organization. And and most organizations, businesses, they go through life cycles. And Alpha's life cycle was at a place where it needed someone to come in with a fresh vision for what was possible. And I hope that I'm always a possibility thinker and trying to see – and have imagination for what's possible in our nation. And I thought, gosh, there's more mm. than we can do with Alpha. And so I just started praying and dreaming and asking God to bring the right people and the right ideas across my path so that we could just go for it and serve the church. I, that's what you and I have in common. We love the local church. And we wanted to set up Alpha again in the minds and hearts of church leaders that we're here to serve you. Whatever we can do to make evangelism easier and put it in your hands as a tool, we want to go for it. And I felt like mm. that was the heart posture that I had is how can we make more of this and how can we impact more people? And then I started praying for the right people because I honestly knew, I don't know how to get this done, but there are people out there that do. And and God, please bring them across my path so we can figure this out together. And that's when you came along and it was so good.
1: Hey, Shayla, before you you know, bring me into all of this, I do want to pause a little bit longer On just the nature of that moment you came into an organization, because for whatever it's worth, like, it's important for people to know that Alpha had a strong movement. Would it be in the 90s, would you say, that it kind of had its first big wave in Canada?
0: Yeah, the early 90s or the mid 90s through the late 90s until about 2004, 2005. I became the national director in 2010.
1: Yeah, so there's just a season of, like, Alpha was still being used. Like I think it was fruitful across the country, Um, but there's there's things like, and again, I, I hesitate to to say some of these things because we know that the power is not in a brand, the power is not in contemporary media. But there's a sense by which it felt like some of the the media, the language was lagging behind and churches were asking for some resource that were more contemporary perhaps. But maybe there's more going on. I just want to get a little more insight from you on like, what does it mean to step into an organization at that moment where it's like, hey, there's tons of raw potential in here. There's a rich legacy of... Partners, but then also that legacy can sometimes be an obstacle for change. Like that's what I'm getting at is like you've got this incredible legacy, and but you made a decision. I'm going to go all in because you see this. Talk about that that change management journey. Talk about the potential you saw. Because I just think there's a lot of leaders that are probably in a similar spot, whether they've inherited a church or Christian organization or a ministry that they're trying to think. Hey, it's had its success in the past, but now I'm responsible for bringing the future. That comes with tons of opportunities and challenges.
0: Well, I think what happened, Jason, if I even took you back to the fall of 2009 and the board asked me to come in and talk to them about uh, Alpha Canada and what I saw. And I don't know why, but I've always had this entrepreneurial bent as a leader that I see potential where other people don't. Mm. It's just God's gift. I have no explanation of why I'm able to see that. And so I went into the board meeting and I listed, I think it was eight reasons why Alpha Canada still had tons of life left in it and why they should find someone to lead it. And I was at the time running Alpha in the workplace globally. I was used to working with business people. I didn't really think, oh yeah, this is for me. I was just like, guys, don't let this go. There's potential. So I think what it requires when when an organization, a church, a charity, or even a business has gone through a life cycle, and now they're maybe not at the bottom, but wondering, hey, is there more to squeeze out of this? I think the first thing we as Christians have to do is pray and ask the Lord, what's your will? Uh, following that the second thing is then we need to seek wise counsel do other people see what I see or what you see and if there are people that see that then that is kind of a confirmation go for it the third thing is do I actually have a conviction that this should exist in the world hmm. that this type of evangelism should be fruitful and multiplying in Canada and Jason because I'd seen the fruitfulness of it I was like what's changed the culture hasn't changed where I think alpha could work the course itself needs a bit updating, but it's not actually not working anymore. And so I just saw potential and I just had to go for it. God and I Mm. wrestled it out, but I had to go for it because I thought, I think this could be very fruitful in our nation. There's no reason it shouldn't be. And let's figure out a way to update it so that churches could use it and find it really fruitful in their community. So I think it's that entrepreneurial opportunity that I saw coupled with God's clarity and other people around me that my conviction wasn't just my own insight, but was Holy Spirit and the community of believers around me. Hmm.
1: I joined the team a little bit after you took leadership and I was a very young leader and there's lots we can talk about that. But I definitely came in thinking, let's just blow the whole thing up. Like, take this down, change this. I remember how many meetings I had with you. You're like, hey, 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 slow down, <laughs> slow down. And like, it was like, at times I experienced you like fully insulating me. So I didn't like come in like a uh, like a wrecking ball, but you made really bold, decisive decisions, but you paced it and there's real intentionality around the journey you took this existing staff on, different stakeholders. Any thoughts on reflection on like wisdom for change management? Because my generation is inheriting so many um, churches and ministries and everyone knows stuff has to change but then it's like the wisdom to know which stuff changes in which way like that idea of change management was a term I never heard of all I know is let's change things and then it's like yes identify that something has to be changed but then the process by which that change happened that's been the last decade of learning and a lot of that came from you talk about change management for a little bit
0: Well, I would say, you know, I don't have a business background, but what I do have is a vision for what's possible. But I know that actually when you're at this stage of thinking, I see what's the potential ahead of me. I have some raw talent. You had more than raw talent. You had already proven yourself in some ways, but there's lots of other raw talent around us. And I just thought, God, how can we get the most out of it? So when I think about change management, I'm always thinking about not just the what. Most people think about the what. I think about the who. Who? And the part that's so important about the who is it's not every who that's on your team. It's like, who are the ones that are going to take this and move it forward with you? And not everyone can. I think that's Part of the lifestyle cycle of an organization, some people who got you to where you are aren't the ones to take you to the next stage. Some can make that journey, but not everyone. And so realizing that stakeholder engagement, your internal team, your board, donors, church leaders, the people that you need to take on a journey with you is your who. But identifying Mm -hmm. those important people uh, that are going to go forward with you is essential to change management.
1: Mm. One of the things, there's so many things I'd like to chat about with you, Shayla, but one of the things I want to lean into is looking at our story and, like, working together as me being a young leader in the organization, a millennial leader with different value sets than you would have shared, different value sets than your primary stakeholders in terms of donors and board members, um, coming in with an idea. We talked about the youth series. I think it was 2011. It might even be in 2010, 2011 we, it was the first time we started throwing on this idea. What if Alpha did a youth project? We had no idea that this would be something that uh, less than 10 years later, I think it's way over a million youth around the world have used it, all these different language, languages, but like had an idea, felt like it needed to happen. Um, and looking back, one of the things that stands out to me the most is I didn't realize that while I was getting getting the opportunity to lead in your organization in alpha, how much coverage you're providing for me. And I know I'll, I'll spell it out a little bit more. Like I didn't know as I, how old was I then? 20, 25 or whatever it might be. I didn't know about board leadership. I didn't know what it took to raise half a million dollars or a million dollars. I didn't know about stakeholders and partners. I didn't know about any of those things. And I remember And now I'm leading organizations and I deal with that. And I experience now providing coverage for my staff, letting them run and saying, don't worry about that. And taking hits, taking like, um, taking hits on their behalf. They might do something that affects somebody. And I'm going to go and make that phone call. And you were doing that again and again and again for me. And I didn't realize that, especially early on in the journey. And I just want to lean into that idea a little bit, because I feel like if we're going to see an empowerment happen of the next generation, It requires those who are leading to acknowledge what it will feel like and what's required to actually provide, like to advocate for and provide coverage for, and then at the right time, let them in. And there's no perfect balance, but there was this real journey because we did the same project in 2017. So 2013, we did the Alpha Youth Series. 2017, I'm doing it again. And all of a sudden, you're letting way more of that fall on me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, last time I did this project, I didn't even think about these things. And now I'm responsible for it. So there's really intentionality on your part. So- I'll stop talking and throw it back to you, but can you talk a little about this idea of, like, this idea of of leaders as advocates for the next generation and and the coverage we provide for others to thrive?
0: I think that, Jay, what we as leaders have to do in our role is believe in someone's God-given vision for the future, and be willing to take hits ourselves. So when you were working on the project, I would be taking hits that you're now more aware of behind the scenes, trying to provide cover for you, but willing to take them and not tell you. Mm -hmm. And not say, I I think that's the hard thing is we wanna tell the person, the young person that's running a project, hey, I'm taking hits on this side. You're giving me Yeah, you gotta know how much
1: this is costing me.
0: Yeah, this is costing me. But I think at least my tendency would be to tell you, hey, I'm taking hits for you, buddy. Like, come on. Suck it up. Let's go. But you told me about some of them.
1: Like I needed to know some of them. A few you you heard.
0: A few you heard. Not my most mature moments. But but I think what I realized is just take those hits. That's what a leader does. It takes those hits so that someone else can shine. Someone else can uh, flourish in the role they're called to be in. And I really believed in you. So I think there's two things that have to underline that coverage we as leaders take. One, you have to believe in the person you have to believe Mm. that they have the character and the competency to get the job done. And I believed in your character and competency. The second thing is genuinely have to love them. I said to God when I went on um, as the national director of Alpha Canada, there was one prayer I had for the many months in before I formally started and when I formally started, Lord, let me love the people that work here. And so Mm. I think I, I trusted your competency and your character But I genuinely had to love you with Christ's love. And those two things working together allowed me to bring coverage to you to let you flourish. The other thing I'm increasingly convinced of, you taught me, and I've learned over and over again, that the next generation has better ideas than I'll ever have. And that we have to trust their instinct for what it takes to reach their generation, what it takes to make a difference for their friends, and allow them to flourish in it. So I think when I think about the coverage that I had to give, it's so worth it. And I wish I could say to other leaders who are nervous, please do it. You won't regret it. Sure, you'll take some hits. Sure, it could be painful at times. But God is so in this next generation that we have to do everything we can to give them a long runway to just take off and fly higher than us. Last thing I'll say about it, because I get passionate when I think about young leaders, I could not be more pleased when I see a younger leader having a greater impact than I will ever have. When I see you planting a church, starting CCLN, I just watch and I rejoice over God's work in your life. I rejoice that in some way I had a part to play in your leadership development because you've kindly said that to me. But I keep asking God for many more Jason Ballards. I keep saying, Lord, I will run coverage for them. I will believe in them. I will love them. I will do everything I can to see them flourish if you will entrust them to me. So I think that's the job as leaders is to not just do one or two, but to keep asking for more because I think when we believe in them, they can take off and then they'll impact the world.
1: Hmm. And I think God's really answered that prayer because you and I know the track record of all the other leaders that have come through Alpha Canada. And I think one of the things, and Shayla, I just want to honor you for this in this public setting, is Alpha Canada is probably known for resource development, serving churches. But one of the things that I experienced in my almost 10 years on staff was seeing good leaders come in, get strengthened and built up. And then ultimately recruited and sent back into local churches. It happened again and again and again and again. And I remember being on the leadership team conversations with you where we would get that like news, like, hey, we're losing this regional person or this head of this department. And it was always like there was legitimate thankfulness to God for the opportunity to build that person. And like they're going into local church. And and that seems to be where like sometimes people recruited into parachurch, but almost always into local churches. And I feel like one of the contributions that Alpha Canada is making behind the scenes is investing in young leaders. I think that has to do with you, but also the whole team, like your whole team believes in that. And it's interesting because we're talking about this connected gen study. And one of the the data points of the connected gen study is that only 30%, and this is 18 to 35 year olds that were uh, polled for this, only 30% express that they feel someone believes in them. So that represents two thirds that don't.
0: When I hear that, First of all, it makes me sad because I think about who's growing up without people that believe in them and God send them our way, right? Like you and mm-hmm. I, we want to believe in people. I think a couple things. One, I think older people, Gen Xers, boomers don't even know how to relate to, let's call them Gen Z or millennials. And I think all you have to do is love them. If you love them, you listen to them, you welcome their opinions, uh, you welcome them into your life. You're going to build a relationship and start to understand them and provide a place where they can feel safe, but also then you just believe in them. You know, I have nieces and nephews who are teenagers and in college and university. I have young friends who are on staff and in my community through my church, et cetera. And sometimes I know that what I need to be for them is a cheerleader, That I need to spot what they're gifted at that they may never have even seen in themselves yet. But I can see it because I'm close enough in relationship with them that I see this raw talent, these gifts, these character qualities that need to be articulated, called out, celebrated, loved. And I feel that that's the role of the older generation is find the best, even though the person may have other issues going on, find the best part of them and speak to it. Um, Call it out, uh, celebrate it, because then they get to live into what you see in them. And sometimes I feel like I just want to lend them my courage. In fact, I had a situation with a young woman I know who came to me with a trusted, very difficult situation. And I just said, I know that right now you don't have the courage to deal with Hmm. this. Can I lend you mine Because I believe that you're strong enough to deal with this. I believe that God is with you. I believe you will come out the other side um, more focused on Jesus and more sure of who you are as a woman. Um, But for now, just borrow my courage, borrow Ryan, my husband's courage, because we believe in you and we will stand with you. And, you know, I really think that was a turning point for her. And Mm. I know I received that when I was a young teenager in my own tumultuous life, thinking, what on earth am I doing? And there was one couple in my church who made me feel like I walked on water. They could call out what they saw in me. And because of that, I lived up to it. And so I just feel my job is wherever I see... Um, beauty and character and competency to call it out and celebrate it in other people. Because then, like I did many years ago, they live into it. So in this Mm. Connected Generation study, when it talks about um, how they want to, they're they're lonely, they need places of connection, I'm like, we can offer that church, Mm. let's do it so that they can flourish and be all God's called them to be.
1: Mm. I had this great memory. Um, this week, and I'm reminding it again, I haven't thought of it for a long time. Before I was really serious about my faith, like my faith came alive when I was about 15 or 16. I played like drums in my little church. There was playing, like 200 people in my church. And so 13 years old with long hair. And this woman who ended up passing away, she was like of cancer, which was really sad. But this older lady named Glenda Lunt would write me notes. And she was like, I don't think she would ever consider herself prophetic, but she was saying things that I didn't know about myself yet. And I was just, she would just see me drum and then maybe sing along and she would talk about how she was impacted. She saw leadership potential in me and these things. And she wasn't a youth leader. She wasn't an elder. She was just a woman at the church. And, you know, I had no idea how to express that, reciprocate that gratitude at the time. But as I look back, it made such a difference in my life and um, just so grateful to not to feel like not in that thirty percent, you know, or in the sixty percent. I'm of the thirty percent that said I feel like at each stage in my life, and whether it was Glenda Lunt or Darian Kovacs or Ben Woodman or Bill Ballard or Shayla Visser, feeling like there was an advocate, a champion that saw something in me. And um, I agree with you wholeheartedly that this is like an opportunity for the church.
0: And when you look around us right now, at this point in the pandemic, we know how stressed out and anxious people are. We know loneliness, mental illness. And I think you just look in your neighborhood and your community and you see people that don't even want to lift their heads. Hmm. And I'm like, how do we help them to lift their heads and see God if they don't know God, but also see that he has made them with all this potential and beauty and And just call it out of them. And so I think if we can do that, regardless of who you are in the church, like you said, this woman in your church, the Lawton family in my life, um, if we all did that, how much more ahead would the church be? Hmm. Because people had champions that loved them and wanted to see them flourish. Hmm.
1: Shayla, you've always been passionate about the Lord, passionate as long as I've known you, passionate about Jesus, passionate about walking with him, passionate about prayer, uh, passionate about evangelism. But I feel like over the last maybe two years, and then in particular recently, like you've expressed and shared almost like a personal renewal, both in your interior world, your own like abiding with Jesus, and then that's overflowed into your exterior world. I just love to hear a little bit about that journey you're on with the Lord and then how that's kind of breaking into different parts of your world.
0: I think my journey with God around evangelism in particular was what helped me break through around abiding. I realized I was running a national evangelism organization, and I myself was no longer passionate about evangelism. And it took me a while to admit it to myself and then to anyone else. But what had happened is I got so busy doing the work of Alpha Hmm. that I wasn't living the life of Alpha, if that makes sense. Living a life that's about neighbors and about friends that don't know Jesus and it took me a while to admit it to myself and then to really go through the process of, Lord, why aren't I? What's going on in my heart and soul that I'm about running a great organization where I want really want to be centered mm-hmm. on Jesus and making his mission in the world my top priority? and. As I did that, you know, certain people God brings into your life. I got a spiritual director. Um, I met Daryl Johnson in a a great way that we became good friends. And I was just so impacted by a number of deeply Jesus people that made me want to know Jesus more and love him more. Mm -hmm. And so I just started pouring my life into reading the Bible, praying, abiding, and I just found myself in a richer place. But I also realized in that time, I just want to join the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit's doing in the world. Mm. And so all of a sudden, this lackluster passion for people meeting Jesus just came afire. And Daryl Johnson would come and speak to our staff, and I remember he'd always say, what do you want me to speak on? I'd say, just make Jesus greater. Mm. If you just make Jesus greater in our work, evangelism will always happen, because that's what happened for me. I just fell in love with Mm. Jesus more and more and more. Even today, I was at um, my husband's uncle's funeral. So we were at the family funeral today. And at the end of the gravesite, I said to Ryan, we need to dance here, Mm. because he is now alive with Jesus. And this is a wonderful example of why... When when we really enter into this abiding, everything in life becomes sweeter and more Jesus-y. If that's even a word. Mm. And so my life of evangelism became rooted in Jesus being greater in my life. And flowing out of that, I just wanted everyone to meet him. And so I said to him, I'll be available however you want to use me. And I always had a fear of being a crazy Christian, like one of those weirdos that is always talking about Jesus everywhere they go. And I had to get over that and just say no, I'll be weird for you. And I know that mm. sounds a bit crazy, but I, I like to have an image. I like to be a little sure. put together. Yeah. And and I just said, no, I'm willing to be really crazy for you. I'm willing to do the things that other people may not be willing to so that someone can meet Jesus. And ever since then, it's taken off. It's, mm. I just can't even explain it. how many people come across my path that I get to talk to about Jesus.
1: I remember during the pandemic, I remember when the pandemic first hit and we start, we were on a call together. Like, what are we going to do? And it's like, are we taking Alpha online? How are we going to serve churches and canceling all these in-person things? Like everyone had to experience. And then you took up the kind of, okay, we're promoting Alpha online. You're like, I think I should run one online. And just talk to me about that journey because I was really impacted watching you go like, I think you made a, tell me about like, you made a list. You're like, (laughs) I'm actually
0: going to invite all these people. Just tell me about that journey. So I did sort of the typical list of like, I've got three friends I'm going to invite to my Alpha online. And uh, I called them and, you know, or I texted actually one of them and I said, I'd like to invite you to Alpha, explain a little bit about it. And she said, God bless you. No, thank you. And I was like, yeah, okay. No, no. Like, and the first three people I asked said no. And you know, that kind of feels a bit discouraging. And then I said, Lord, I talk about joining you and what you're doing all the time, So instead of just my best list, I'm going to ask you, who should I invite? Anyone you put in my heart or on my mind, I will call and invite them. And so God started with this first woman, Christine. We went to university together 20 plus years ago. And I called her and she's like, I would love to. Can I bring some friends? So I was like, wow, okay. There's something about joining the Holy Spirit. This is really good. And I kind of went through this list and God kept giving me names. And do you know, honestly, 80% of them wanted to come. I couldn't wow. believe it. Not all of them could because, you know, time, I was dealing with sure. different time zones because I wanted to invite friends from across the country. But then God told me, I want you to invite this friend. And the friend he asked me is the friend you never want to invite, or at least I never wanted to invite. Sure. Uh, Jewish, lawyer, uh, one of my oldest, dearest friends. We've never talked about Jesus. Uh, she she respects what I do. I respect what she does. But Jesus has not been part of our conversation. And I was scared to invite her and I didn't want to. And I kept saying to the Lord, you have this one wrong. And he kept bringing her name to mind. In fact, I didn't get another name except for hers. And so I asked my community group at church, pray for me that I'd have courage to invite her. Uh, The next week they gathered, tell me that you've invited her. No, still haven't worked up the courage. Okay, we're going to pray again. You've got to invite her. Alpha starts Tuesday. Our community group was Sunday. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to invite this woman. And I mean, she's a really close friend. And then on the Monday, she texted me about something out of the blue. I said, fine, Lord, I got the hint. And I texted her the worst invitation you've ever heard to Alpha. It was basically like, I know we've been friends for 20 years. We've never talked about Jesus. You know, I run Alpha. I want to invite you to come... I know you're busy, it's COVID, you're a managing director at a law firm, a managing partner at a law firm. You don't have time for that. like basically all the reasons I thought she'd said no, I wrote in the text. And she texted back and said, I can't believe after 20 plus years of friendship, you're scared of me. Of course I'd love to come and check it out. And she came. Wow. And it was just such a great example to me about. Even me, who runs Alpha Canada, who lives for this, that I have my own fears and insecurities Mm. that I have to say to God, please forgive me. I will be faithful. And so he just keeps showing me, Shayla, be faithful. I'm at work all around you. Trust me. Walk Mm. with me. All open doors. And he does every time.
1: Some stories you and I have swapped that I love swapping stories about is when you're in situations, whether it's neighbors or... Someone you run into and you're kind of like, I don't know how to help in this moment, maybe I can pray for them. And I think there's been a few times we've swapped stories about that. Um, I'm thinking of one of a while ago, a neighbor that ended up in your home praying for them and recently entering in. I don't know if you want to share one of those stories, but I just think it's this powerful picture of like the way prayer ministry, which is a big part of Alpha, can actually break into the day-to-day life.
0: I'm actually increasingly convinced, Jason, that prayer is the tip of the arrow for evangelism in Canada right now. Because there is a hurting world, and we can't necessarily just preach the gospel to them in that minute, but what we can offer them is comfort in through mm. prayer, encouragement through prayer. And so I've had a couple situations. We had a painter in our house who told me about a sad story, and I just said to him, you know, Victor, I don't have anything to offer you. I can't help you in this situation, but I could pray, would you be open to prayer? And he said, okay. And I said, have you ever been prayed for? He said, no. I said, well, this is what I'd like to do. I'd just like to lay my hand on you and pray for you. And, and he, he actually came towards me. I didn't have to walk towards him. He came a few steps closer so I could lay my hands on him and pray for him. And he cried. Hmm. And he took a moment, went outside and, and said, I just need to collect myself for a minute. I've never experienced anything like that. Hmm. Five days later... Ryan and I on a Saturday morning heard screaming in our neighborhood, a young woman having, you know, a mental breakdown, um, childhood trauma, very difficult things. And so Ryan's a police officer, so I always feel safer running into difficult situations if he's beside me. And Jay, I just feel like in that moment, I experienced the presence of the Trinity like I haven't experienced before. I I can't explain it other than say that. Because we came to the back door and there was blood everywhere because she'd been cutting herself. It was on her mother's shirt who was trying to calm her down and was having no success. And it was on her. And I, we waited for a couple of minutes while Ryan asked some very good, you know, he's a professional. He knows how to ask good questions. And then I said, can I touch her? I just knew God wanted me to touch her. Mm. And I... Finally, Ryan said, Yep, it's safe. And I went and I sat with her, and Ryan took the mom into a different part of the backyard. And I just said, May I hold your hand? And she said, Yes. And I held her hand and said, Tell me your story. And so she told me through tears. And I then said, May I clean up the blood that was all over mm-hmm. her, her face? And I got some things to clean up. And I just kept holding her hand as I wiped her clean. And I felt like I was the hands and feet of Jesus. Mm. And I just can't explain it any other way than to say God was so alive in me as I loved her. And then I asked her, can I pray for you? Do you have a spiritual background? And she said, well, I'm Buddhist. And lots of 30-year-old Caucasians in Vancouver are Buddhists. In Vancouver,
1: and- yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And um, – I just said, I'm a Jesus follower. I call Mm. myself a Christian. Um, I know God loves you. Would would you be open to me praying for you? And she said, I'd love that. And I just got to lay my hands on her. And I didn't in that moment tell her all about Jesus. But what I knew is she'd had a taste of the kingdom of God in that Mm. moment. And that she would know wherever she is in life that there was something good in that moment. She tasted goodness. And it wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit tangibly entering into our midst. I, I left that, you know, giving her my cell phone number. You know, we were there for quite some time. The mother came by a few days later to bring flowers and say thank you. And she asked me, are you professionally trained in mental um, health? And I said, no. She's like, oh, have you taken a course on it? I said, no, never. She said, how did you know what to do? And I said to the mom, you know, I'm a Christian, and I believe God loves you and loves your daughter. And I just prayed and said, God, how can I be most helpful? And I believe he told me what to do. And she said, I mm. believe you. And, wow. you know, I just think we have to continue to love people in Jesus' name and offer them Jesus. What else do we have to offer them other mm. than the love of Christ?
1: Mm. Thanks so much for sharing those stories, um, it's just so encouraging, and I think every pastor listening or church leader listening is longing to not tell, like, 10-year-old stories or 15-year-old stories from when, you know, for me, it's, like, stories from high school, which are fun to talk about, but it's, like, I'm asking God, like, and again, it's not for stories to share, but you get the idea, like, God, I want I want to be living it day in, day out, and so that I'm not, like, living in some past days, and I know if that's a prayer for anyone listening you know my prayer for you and for me is like, Lord, do it in our lives, like give us opportunities to see our neighbors and give us the courage to pray and be present and
0: yeah, and I think it's an opportunity in this world that we as Christians have an opportunity to run towards people's pain hmm. and offer love. And when she told me her very tragic story, even without many details, I said, I believe you and her hmm. from looking down her, she just looked at me and said. You're the first person in my whole life who has said that to me. Wow. And so I think we have this wonderful moment of a hurting world to offer the love of Christ hmm. in very practical ways, but also supernatural ways. We can't miss the prayer moment because it's some there's some sort of inbreaking of the supernatural that ha- happens when we offer to pray for people. Hmm. So I, I, I love, love joining God in what he's doing.
1: couple weeks ago, you and I got to host uh, a Life Shared Summit, which Alpha and then a ton of amazing partner organizations from across Canada, over 20 organizations. And the purpose of Life Shared Summit was actually to share, primarily to share, uh, some data from a report that you commissioned with Flourishing Congregations uh, about the state of evangelism in Canada, the church's perspective, what's happening. And I'd just love for you to share a little bit about um, the why behind the report and then some of what you learned, because it's really interesting stuff.
0: Well, there's a number of reasons we did it. Similar to you know, World Vision doing Connected Generations, we did uh, Barna research on Gen Z earlier in the year, and now we've done this research with the Flourishing Congregations, is we feel that to steward uh, Alpha Canada, we want to be data-informed and spirit-led. So part of this was our homework on our back end to say, what's happening in our country? But the second thing is that I really wanted to understand how church leaders across Canada saw evangelism, whether it was a priority, because I feel like there's a coming tsunami of opportunity for the Mm. church. Some of it is going to feel painful and weighty. It's not going to be easy, but some of it is actually a harvest like we've never seen. I have a deep conviction that in the next few years, we're going to see an onslaught of people coming to faith and we have to be ready. And I wondered, is the church ready what can we do to serve the church to be ready for what may be coming because the world is really hurting and i think they're asking very deep questions and as they do so will the christian church be there to meet them uh or will be will be internally focused because we probably will have shrank we will have experienced some level of persecution And will we still, in those moments of our own pain in the church, be able to see externally? And so Mm -hmm. we wanted to know what was the state of evangelism in Canada. And so we asked 2,701 church leaders in all different positions within churches, filled it out, and it gave us some really helpful insight into what the church thinks about evangelism in this time.
1: So give us some of the highlight, like some of the stats. I mean, there's it's a full report. We'll put the link in the show notes and make sure everyone knows how to get it. But it's just some stats that stand out to you because in particular, I'm curious about the prioritization of evangelism. And then also there was some interesting data about the perspective on like, even if it's okay to evangelize with the purpose of conversion. And so just give us a window into some of the stats that came up.
0: I think the first thing that was so surprising, well, I guess it shouldn't be too surprising, is that a lot of people have an allergic reaction to the word evangelism. You and I are using it freely here because yeah. we understand our own convictions around it, what it means to be participating in evangelism. But if you talk to my husband and his peers who went to Christian school and then went to Bible school, you know, they have some hangups that are associated with methods. And so mm. I think what we saw in this research is even church leaders have that. Like they're like, oh, I don't even use the word evangelism. I prefer this or that. So we don't even have common language in the church in Canada. But then 65% of pastors said that they have not prov- prioritized evangelism in the last few years, nor do they plan on it. And I think we were surprised that the number was so high, given that there's a really hurting world that's become more apparent. So that was one. I think a second one that was a bit surprising is that youth pastors and children's pastors, 46 and 48% of these pastors think it's wrong To help someone convert to Christianity, for someone to put their faith in Jesus, um, Mm. to leave another religion, to become a Christian. And I thought, that's really interesting. And so the underlying questions are, is that a response to the word evangelism? Is that um, they've been influenced by the culture around them? We didn't ask enough deep questions. But what we hope this report does is we put it into the hands of denominational leaders, Diocesan leaders, bishops, pastors. And we say, th- we hope this will be a conversation starter amongst your staff to say, what do we want to, to define as evangelism? How do we do it? How are we reaching out? And what is the role of a ch- children's and youth pastor? Is it to disciple the people that are in your church, or does discipleship include evangelism? Hmm. And it includes like a faith muscle that is always utilized when you're out sharing your faith, regardless of your age. And I think probably children and uh, young adults and youth are probably way better at than we are. Um, and we need to equip them and help them. So I, I feel like this report is giving us some research that hopefully will spur com- conversations in the church.
1: Yeah, it's really compelling. And again, we'll make sure that people can find that whole report. Um, I just have one last question, and then anything else you want to share, you can. we can make time for. But I just one thought I had is there's a sense by which things are opening up. And that's, you know, as much as we talked about, there's token words like pivot or whatever. Now it's reopening, opening up. And it's like, we're in this long tail. Like this isn't going anywhere. This season we're in of like some like hybrid online in person, all these different things. Like we live in this new world, but you're doing something unique or sorry, not unique. You're doing something very common. It's not unique at all. Is You're regrouping your staff. Mm -hmm. Like there's a sense by which, okay, there's been like a, staff have kind of uh, gone online or separated, or there's been responding to needs organizationally around COVID. And now it's like, hey, we're in this new reality, and we need to regroup around a shared vision. I just want to, because you're just a leader I really admire and look up to, I want to know, how are you actively thinking about how to regroup and then point your staff for a vision into the future in this still turbulent, uncertain time?
0: I think when we have our North Star on Jesus, Jason, every time, like... If, if we can help the staff at Alpha Canada have their North Star as Jesus, the rest will, will be okay. Like, we can do the kind of HR things we need to do. We can take care of people's mental well-being. We can make sure the vision is clear. But at the end of the day, um, the North Star has to be Jesus. Secondly, mm-hmm. they need to hear a compelling vision. Is this worth giving my life to? And, you know, God has given me a vision for the next three to five years that is shared amongst our leadership team. But what he's done recently, which I have found really surprising, is he's given me a vision for 30 years from now. Wow. And it's not often that you think about, okay, you know, most people are doing their three to five-year plan. Now in COVID, it feels like an annual plan is about as far as you can go, but we still by faith pray and fast and ask God. And I hope that we've got his eyes on the three years, which I think we do. Um, but he's given me a picture of 30 years. And what I want our staff to understand, they've got the North Star as Jesus, But they want to understand that what they do every day matters for the next 30 years of the church in Canada. And I remind them of that. You know, what you're doing matters and here's why. You might be building a digital system. This is why that matters. You might be coaching one small Anglican church in rural Canada to run Alpha. This is why it matters for 30 years from now. And so I'm trying to get into the vocabulary of Alpha Canada staff. I'm about building the future, of the church in Canada and loving and serving her. And so that's that's where I say, North Star is Jesus, compelling vision, not just for three to five years, but for 30 years. And if we can keep them going on that, I think they'll keep working for Jesus and doing great work, whether it's at Alpha or somewhere else in the world.
1: I love it. And I'm, as a church leader now, just grateful for the resources that Alpha Canada, Alpha around the world continues to provide. And so thank you for looking forward, for being bold and audacious and for all that you guys do to serve Church leaders in Canada on behalf of a lot of listeners. We're just really grateful. And thanks for giving it away. Um, it means a lot and we're just so grateful for the resources that Alpha is providing. Well, a huge thank you to Shayla for the time invested to be with us today. I love that conversation. And I hope you've benefited from the insights that we've been able to share from the Connected Generation Report. You can access the whole report to read the data we shared and a ton more. The link for a free download can be found in the show notes to this episode. Next week on this podcast, we have Francis Chan. And many of you will know him from his books like Crazy Love, Letters to the Church, and he recently released a new book called Until Unity. And every time I hear from Francis, whether it's on a podcast or a sermon or a conversation like this, I am challenged to the core to keep Jesus at the center of my life and ministry. And I know that you'll probably experience something similar when you listen into this conversation. Hey, lastly, the work of the Canadian church leaders network is fueled by financial partners who share conviction that investing in the heart of pastors is one of the best ways we can see transformation in Canada. People from across Canada and around the world who desire to see a vibrant, courageous and multiplying church in Canada have come alongside to make this work possible. And we're full of hope and want to serve and support pastors in the work they do. So this podcast, our Church Leaders Incubator, we launched this last fall, events, gathering resources, all of that is funded by the generosity of people like you. So if you want to be part of this work, we'd love for you to join us and become a regular partner. You can head over to ccln.ca slash partner to learn more and you can reach us with any questions at contact at ccln.ca. That's all for today and we'll see you very soon.